everyone. Welcome back to the Modern CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Seski. For those of you who may have noticed by now, some of my favorite conversations on the show are about finance and technology, which is why I'm thrilled today to be joined by Melinda Smith, the CFO of Chaos Search. Melinda, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here, and I really appreciate you having me on the show today. Before we go back in time to discuss your contributions and leadership at companies like Venmo and Padient, I'd love to dive in by giving listeners a brief overview of Chaos Search, why the cloud data space is so exciting, and perhaps why listeners should keep an eye out for how rapidly the space is developing. Yeah, that's great. So I joined Chaos Search about a year and a half ago as the CFO here. And Chaos Search is a data lake platform that's really aiming to revolutionize access to data at scale. We were founded as a disruptor in this data lake market to really drive down the time, cost, and complexity that's involved with data analytics today. And you know, you hear a lot about businesses wanting to be data-driven, but it's really hard to do that at scale with the velocity and volume of data that's being created today. When we talk about data at Chaos Search, we're not talking about you know, megabytes. It's really more about terabytes and petabytes, and someday it'll be zettabytes, right? So we're talking about scale here, and our technology allows us to put data into the client's cloud of choice and then allow them to use the very same tools they use today to analyze that data while shortening the amount of time for them to get insights into minutes versus the weeks or months that we're seeing technology companies take today to get access to their analytics. That's really interesting. And for those who don't know, Chaos Search recently raised its Series B and is continuing to grow. And I'm really excited to circle back to that round in a little bit here because I know you have a really valuable perspective when it comes to fundraising as well as have really unique experiences in some transaction types as a CFO. So moving a little bit more chronologically now, you graduated from uh, Ross at University of Michigan and began your career at PwC. Is that right? That's right. So very early on in my career, I was very focused on more of a traditional accounting and CPA path. So right out of college, I chose to join Pricewaterhouse and I was there in those early days learning, really learning a lot about different technology companies in the Boston area. So when was the first intersection with kind of a senior finance position at, it was a privately held firm, right? Did that company spark interest in technology or had you always had a, you know, a finance and technology interest? Well, it really did spark it at, for me at Pricewaterhouse. In those days, a lot of what was going on in the Boston market was smaller businesses being funded by venture firms here locally. And I took the opportunity to leave Pricewaterhouse and join my very first technology startup That was really a great opportunity for me to flip over from, you know, sort of that auditing side to more of the operational finance and learn more really. That was the journey I started on learning about how to be more of an operational CFO. Interesting. For those who are maybe still in the traditional big four world, what are some of the things they should consider before making that leap? Or what are some of the things personally that were inspiring you to Uh, move away from that side of the world into more of this operational finance position? Yeah, for me, it was really fun to be at an early stage business where you're building something from nothing and you're 
the first person in there really looking at the operations and supporting the business from a finance perspective to build value, right? It's really all about building value in a business. We'll probably talk a lot about this today, but I really believe that the role of a CFO in these early stage companies is to be a custodian of that investment and how and where you invest that money the most efficiently to build value in the business. I love that. So when you first got started in becoming a custodian for some of this early financing, uh, some of these early VC dollars, and you're in maybe some of these first CFO roles, it's funny to think about because yeah, we mentioned that you've worked at some of these massive names today like Venmo and Padian, but they were also startups at some point. And you've been a piece of sort of the startup world, even though these are massive names that we are, that are now household names. So it's just interesting to think about from that perspective. Moving into your first CFO role, what were some of the things that prepared you to take on some of the leadership aspects uh, as opposed to just the table stakes nature of the financial acumen that was required for the role? Well, I think from a leadership perspective, building the team is one of the most critical things in an early stage business. And it's also true of a finance team inside of an early stage business. So I think rapidly realizing that the experience matters of people you bring onto your team, the training matters for building and growing your team. And really it's the energy as a leader that you put behind building the business and building something, partnering with the team and providing those operational insights and the custodian of where that investment is going that really helps motivate and drive and and retain ultimately a great finance team. What do you think the uh, role of the CFO has in terms of culture? Because you're talking about hiring and building a team. Do you think that that translates outside of the CEO role? In my experience, I've found that the CFO at an early stage company has a lot of responsibility for some of the more traditional human resources functions. I many times have been in a role where I have some HR support, but I am also driving a lot around the culture. I think it's really important to be true to the founders and the CEO to some respect, maybe the founder CEO and how they want to drive the culture of the business. But ultimately in a startup, you just have naturally that energy of a team and the passion of a founder that you can get behind. And there's a lot of great examples. Then, so there's a huge reliability on the CFO for uh, an element of culture to not only reflect the kind of founder, CEO, uh, their, their vision, but also to be able to be he- highly responsible for deploying it and uh, bringing people on and kind of creating a solidarity and vision around the end goals of the firm. I was thinking that it will be interesting to circle back in terms of your recent uh, financing round at Chaos Search, mostly because of your experience. Um, not all CFOs have multiple acquisition under their belt. But before we get into your interest in kind of fintech and, and payments, I wanted to circle back to how you managed to switch into uh, you into that first CFO role and then also kind of what those firms were doing, because I think it's a really interesting part of you know the history. We've had a lot of talk about firms like eBay and PayPal on the podcast in the past, but we have not covered some of the stories that I'm excited to share today. So I'd love to hear about those early days kind of in the payments space and where your career intersected with that as well. 
Sure. So I was working at a firm, an early stage company called Padient. And at Padient, we were building a mobile payments white label solution for some of the largest retailers in the world. So there was a consortium, MCX, that included Target, Sears, CVS, Dunkin' Donuts. We also worked with Subway restaurants and HEB. And it was that set of um, sort of customers that drew the interest of PayPal in Padient. Now, it was a really interesting time to be talking with PayPal because that was in 2015, they were looking to spin out of eBay as a separate public company. And as part of their strategy, they were looking at mobile payments and applications we were working on for payment in-store as part of the strategy. And so Padient became interesting to them. And we were acquired in the spring of 2015, right before they spun out of eBay. So that's a pretty unique transaction to be an acquisition target and at the same time being spun out into a separate public company at the same time. What sort of takeaways or insights going through all of those transactions could you share maybe in a broader sense about the what sounds kind of like a hectic nature when it comes to being transaction ready as a company? Yeah, so it was definitely a hectic time. And, you know, when you think about an integration and the effort that you need to go through to integrate yourself into a new company, um, it's hard enough when you're just integrating, but when you're also part of an organization spinning out and having a lot of obligations to an infrastructure that needs to be put in place just to become a separate public company, we quickly realized that. And rightly so, PayPal was going to need to be focused on just meeting its commitments to the street, putting financial infrastructure in place to be able to make that guidance to the street. And really, the sales organization needed to be focused on hitting all of those numbers. And so that's when our team had the opportunity to combine with the Venmo team which was very much a startup inside of the PayPal organization. When I became involved with the Venmo team, I think we had about 10 million users at the time, but it was growing, doubling and tripling in users every year. And so the role there was super interesting because it was very strategic in the standpoint of how could we monetize those users internally at Venmo and and really grow a revenue stream that traditionally the business had really been more focused on the user growth. So essentially you were still in startup mode, even at some of these really large household names. What were some of the differences between operating with some of these startups at startup stage all the way through to managing the CFO role at, at big public firms. At Padient, for example, you know, it's a lot about the fundraising and then that custodian of building that value, right? And so the same was true at Venmo, but it was really about working inside of PayPal as that parent organization and that and that the right that we had to go in and kind of ask for funding, if you will, for what we wanted to do at Venmo and coming up with that strategic plan that PayPal could internally invest in to build that business. So what is it like to, now that you've been through the CFO position at a number of roles. 
segueing slightly into uh, fundraising and structuring financing for a business, is it now more interesting to build with acquisitions or liquidity events in mind? I think we broadly talked on this podcast across a number of episodes about the slow convergence of the public and private markets, how some companies are staying private longer and longer. Is it really valuable to have all of that experience to be able to build with certain insights and knowing your founder's vision uh, when it comes to liquidity events or becoming an acquisition target? I think for sure, the experience that I have gives me a good perspective on where we can be looking to partner with certain organizations to really build that value towards an exit or just generally thinking about each business uniquely, right? I think each business uniquely has a different trajectory. And there's honestly a little bit of luck and timing that goes into when a founder is coming to market and there are businesses that can be incredibly efficient with their funding. They are right on the timing to build that value. And they perhaps grow very, very quickly. But I think in the normal and more usual case, um, it is more of that longer time frame to really incremental progress, building value over time, taking you know that 10 customers that you have when you first start figuring out how to build that into a hundred customers, you know, figuring out what that timeline is really going to look like uniquely to your business for, the sales cycle and all the other metrics that go into determining how fast your company is ultimately going to grow and achieve that exit. We talked briefly before uh, recording that when you first joined Chaos Search, the Series B was pretty soon after. But can we uh, hear the story about how you were brought over into Chaos Search and kind of the relationships that you've had that have been uh, really pivotal in bringing you onto this new team? Yeah. So it's been true across my entire career, honestly. Like it's true that the community, the venture community in a certain region, Boston in my case, is pretty small. And I've been very lucky to be kind of referred from business to business um, and founding team to founding team as I've grown in my career. And so when I left Venmo and was really thinking about my next step. I was contacted by one of my investors in Padient who had been an early investor in Chaos Search and was really passionate and backed Thomas Hazel, who's our CTO, in this cloud data platform and the technology um, and the innovation that he was building. And so I joined Chaos Search kind of knowing one of our board members and meeting the rest of the leadership team for the very first time. It was very interesting onboarding to chaos and, you know, no pun intended, but I really did think hard about joining a company whose name was chaos. When I joined about three weeks later, we received that term sheet from Stripes for our $40 million Series B. And so it was, you know, sort of hair on fire coming in and learning the entire history of chaos search in about three weeks in order to put the diligence together and get that round closed. So we've talked a little bit about financing in general and fundraising in general, and that it can be fairly difficult. And also you're keeping in mind that taking different types of investments also require kind of different uh, custodial 
as you put it, um, role, uh, you know, to serve different investor interests. How do you think about scaling and fundraising in the current environment we're in today? So one of the interesting things I see in the environment we're in today are these companies that are raising these gigantic rounds of funding. I do think that there is um, a role of a CFO to help the team determine how much is the right funding to bring on and balancing that with the dilution that you're taking on in the business and how confident you are in what you see as the data points towards your growth rate that supports that valuation at the end of the day. And so I think there's a propensity potentially to take this big amount of money and then have trouble being responsible, I guess, about where to invest that money. And so that kind of ties back into my view of this custodian of the funding and how do you invest every dollar to really drive at least a dollar of value so that effectively you're turning that dilution that you took from selling equity in your business down to zero. Yeah, I really like that approach. I think it's great advice for CFOs thinking about their role in fundraising is the there's so many dollars chasing so few opportunities at this exact moment. I think that's a really important comment. And typically I stop the podcast every once in a while to say, you know, if you're using that 30 second back button, that would be a great thing to to focus on and just rewind and re-listen to. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the evolving demands of the CFO role, uh, especially across your career. So when I think about being a woman in technology and this journey that I've been on to build both sort of a family and a career over the last 20 years, honestly, I could definitely not have achieved what I've achieved without sort of this true partnership with family um, and friends. And the saying that, you know, sort of takes a village, I think is so true in my case. And where it starts really for, for women to succeed in a career, I think, is really having that support system around them to make everything that needs to happen in daily life happen, and then also contribute really meaningful at work in your career. Would you say that's something that you feel is relatively underestimated in the world today? For sure. I think that some of the quality of women in the workplace is really fundamentally dependent on this concept of having the right resource to support them in that journey. And whether it means, you know, flexibility for a two-job family to really split up everything that needs to be done in a day, whether it means splitting up childcare drop-offs in the morning or in the evening or heading to the soccer field for a four o'clock, you know, varsity soccer game, then getting back to finishing up your email when you get home after dinner, spending time together as a family, maybe cooking on Sunday afternoon so that you have food to reheat during the week for dinner. I think employers fundamentally need to realize that those old days of sort of one single breadwinner dedicating nine to five in person, in an office, 
are long gone. And I think the interesting part about today's world is that COVID has really accelerated, I think, some of this flexibility for families and for that two-career household, where it's a lot easier now when you're working from home, at least for people who have the opportunity to work from home, to really split up that flexibility. And I'm hopeful that that's going to drive more opportunity for women and, you know, that support structure that they need to really accelerate their career. Thank you so much for that. I want to take a sort of step back and think a little bit more broadly about what's top of mind for you right now at Chaos Search and how are you thinking about just the next 12 months? For sure, in the next 12 months, we are working towards our next fundraising. So it's really all about building as much value in the business this year as we can leading up to that fundraising round. And by building value, I mean, you know, not only is it building more value in the technology, we're really laser focused on identifying um, and that repeatable business model where our ideal customer profile is focused and how we can really also look towards building the right team, spending a lot of time on the hiring process, you know, in this environment right now, especially for hiring engineers. I know lots of your listeners out there probably have the same challenges we have. Um, And The other thing balancing is really, I'm a big believer in building a diverse team. The best teams and the most effective teams come from a commitment to that diversity, which is also increasingly hard in this COVID environment um, to find, you know, workers who are now demanding that they can live in dispersed locations and those flexible working schedules. So really focused on building the team. And then ultimately it's building the top line, right? So a lot of what I spend time doing these days internally is really being that data-driven advocate for where are those proof points working in terms of marketing campaigns that are driving the best marketing qualified opportunities, moving those down the funnel into sales accepted opportunities, and then ultimately What is the velocity that I can forecast for how the growth of the business is going to support our next fundraising? Have you found that in the dispersion of a workforce that it's more difficult to maintain? And it's just, I'm sure CFOs across a lot of industries are still in this great migration environment or resignation and somewhat migration environment uh, where people are moving and changing jobs on a relatively uh, frequent basis so they can kind of create the life that they want to, which is great in terms of flexibility, but it also can create some drawbacks in terms of maintaining a culture that is uh, really well-defined. So how do you at Chaos Search, you know, put into practice the some of these leadership skills that you have in the past to be more transparent and upfront about the type of culture that you want to maintain and, you know, attract people who are going to not only identify with that same culture, but also augment it? Yeah. So when I think about Chaos Search uniquely, it actually grew up as a COVID company, right? So we tripled our headcount in the last 18 months. Wow. And we did all of that, hiring all of those resources over Zoom. 
We also do have a fairly dispersed workforce. Um, we have some folks in the UK and we also have a bunch of locations now in the US. And so to your point, Andrew, it's really difficult to keep that culture moving. Some of the things that we're doing, we have town hall meetings over Zoom every other week. And that's really been a big part of building the culture of the business, just given the realities that we live in today with everybody on Zoom. And so we hold these town hall meetings and Thomas Hazel, who's our CTO, is also quite the character. And he likes to open up our town hall meetings with some kind of fun activity. And we then spend a lot of time really making sure that we're connecting our business wins in those meetings so that the entire employee base can understand how the business is progressing and really building that excitement coming from that passion that our founder has in the business. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's very important, I think, to celebrate you know progress and wins as a as a firm, so that everyone can sort of see the uh, culmination of their individual contributions to you know the overall vision of the firm. One thing that I we I feel like I didn't quite cover in, in depth enough. You've had roles as a CFO in firms that are fairly technical as products. So I think that you know, there was a an IPO that was really um, documented. At, Snowflake was a big, uh, the first time I think I had heard the term data lake and I might be a, a little bit behind. So for people who are still learning about cloud storage and the entirety of the space, what should they look out for? What should they think about in terms of the next three to five years, of the development of the space? And um, you know, how do you see it developing uh, that people can kind of keep track of? Yeah, so good point. I mean, Snowflake has been a very successful player in the cloud data market. Um, one of the key differentiators between what Chaos Search is doing and what Snowflake and some of our other competition is doing is that they require you to actually move your data into their cloud infrastructure. And Chaos Search is um, allowing our customers to keep their data in their own cloud data infrastructure of choice. Now, Snowflake has a big head start on us, um, but I do think that the valuation and the you know size of fundraising has driven a lot of interest in the cloud data space. And when you think about the next three to five years, I'm really excited to see the data get beyond, you know, that petabyte of data level. And really, it's supposed to triple again in this time frame, the amount of data that's being created by sort of web applications, mobile devices. When you think about the Internet of Things, including sort of connected cars, connected homes, machine learning and artificial intelligence the volume of data is just exploding and the value of that data and the analytics is becoming more and more critical to just going about everyone's daily life. That's some very helpful context. I didn't understand the, this rate of acceleration in terms of how much data was going to be out there, but it's a trend that we know is not reversing anytime soon. So I think that's really helpful context. So thank you for that. One kind of final question I have is around anyone who is aspiring to the CFO position, who may be in a senior finance role or you know maybe still at a big four. 
What are some of the things, I mean, I know you personally have had a lot of experience and it brings you a lot of joy to be at, you know, that founding group to be able to bring something into the world that's totally unique. How should people think about their first CFO position and what final advice would you have for them to kind of summarize some of the insights that you shared today? Yeah, I think it's, you know, not to hold off on really just taking that opportunity driving all the energy you have into continuous learning. I think a lot of what I've learned has really just been rolling up your sleeves and putting forth a partnership with all of the other leaders, trying to learn as much as you can about that operational aspect of the business and really being driver of that data analysis internally, right? It's not only does, does the CFO have to worry about more of the mundane sort of accounting, traditional flows of quote to cash and procure to pay and things like that, but really the value of that first CFO role is learning as much as you can about the operational aspects of the business and how you can drive whatever data elements you can coming out of early learnings, really, especially in that early stage mode, learning from every data point you can is really going to help you become a better custodian of where to invest and help those leaders direct that funding. I can't think of a better definition of what I would think you're describing, which is the perfect modern CFO. Uh, It aligns perfectly with the podcast title, and I really appreciate you delineating your career. I think we've had a wonderful conversation. How can people learn more about Chaos Search or get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more? Um, What's the best route to do so? Yeah, sure. So you can always find us on chaossearch.io on the web and also LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Thomas Hazel, who's our CTO and our Chaos Search LinkedIn page, um, have lots of detail and information about what we're up to at Chaos Search. Excellent. Thank you so much, Melinda, for joining the Modern CFO Podcast. I look forward to speaking again soon. Thank you, Andrew. It's been great to be here.